Hi everyone, it's Helen Joy Butler, Home Energy Alchemist, Sanctuary Creator and Elemental Space Clearer and welcome to this episode of Musings on Sanctuary and Spirituality. Today we have a beautiful sanctuary chat with Angel Cloak. Dr. Angel is a clinical psychologist and certified mindfulness meditation teacher. She studied from two well-known mindfulness teachers in the United States, Tara Brock and Jack Cornfield, graduating from their first and only in-person cohort of their mindfulness meditation teacher certification program. Angel also works as an emotion-focused therapist, having trained closely with its chief developer, Dr. Leslie Greenberg. In her work with clients and students, Angel integrates the teachings of mindfulness and compassion with a particular passion for helping people learn the language of emotions. She's committed to helping people find healing and transformation in their lives by learning to relate to their inner experiences with skill, wisdom and self-compassion. Angel lives in Illinois with her family and her pup. Aussie. Thank you so much for being here, Angel. It's divine to connect with you across the ocean. It's so wild. Thank you for having me. Yeah. You're welcome. Let's go straight in with your story. I want to hear more about what brought you to this beautiful work that you're doing in the world. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, in a, in a quick nutshell, right? I mean, like many uh, people with parents who do the best that they can, Right. So as a, as a young child, like, um, like too many people, sadly in our world, but I experienced childhood sexual abuse just to dive right in because that really impacted, of course, the course of my life as it does for so many. So because my parents weren't so skilled to know, I mean, how to help a child with, you know, strong emotions that you would have, um, I just very unconsciously adapted like, like we all do, right? To sort of survive our childhoods. And we have these unconscious, skillful kind of ways just to, to cope, right? And so my main way was just to num not feel any feelings <laughs> as best as I could, right? So um, that basically led me in my teen years to um, start use, trying substances and, you know, kids were using drugs and I really kind of gravitated towards these things that would just make me feel really good instead of bad, um, using food. So, um, developed, so I wouldn't call it necessarily eating disorder, but disordered eating patterns at that age. And then just really toxic relationships, right? So just seeking, you know, I found myself drawn to partners who it was just not very loving, um, of course, not really believing that I was deserving of more and, but just looking to sort of fill that void. Right. So for me, I kind of hit a bit of a rock bottom in my, in my early twenties. And I remember kind of, um, in a moment of just absolute pain. And I remember this was a point where no substance was filling the void and I was just hurting, right. Kind of one of those on your knees moments. And I remember just kind of asking like up at the sky, you know, why, like, why does this feel so bad kind of thing? And almost as if just the answer dropped into my mind, like a whisper, just to say, because someday you're going to heal and you're going to help others. Like there's a purpose to this pain, right? Now it took me many more years. You know, it wasn't like everything shifted at that point. 
Um, it still took me some more mistakes and some more fit falling down, um, coming back down to my knees here and there. But then I kind of did end up with a bit of a rock bottom for me that just said enough is enough. But all the while, I always kind of had that whisper. So I'd be dating somebody who wasn't treating me nice or, you know, finding myself using substances and just like always this whisper that just kept sort of saying, no, there's a better way. This isn't kind of your path. And of course, it started with, you know, the lifestyle choices. So it was like, okay, end all the bad relationships, start going to the gym. I went back to college, like those kind of typical things. We start eating better, right? I did all that. And I was like, that's it. I'm going to be a therapist. And I'm going to help others. And, but that wasn't the end of the story. I, I did get into graduate school. I did, all of these things were helping me, but it wasn't until I was in graduate school. And then I did this kind of add-on training of my first level training of emotion-focused therapy. So this wasn't even part of kind of the main curriculum. And I went to this training and now I was already 30, gosh, in my early thirties at this point. And Dr. Leslie Greenberg explains feelings have our information, like they're useful. They're not just an inconvenience. I mean, that was my interpretation. I was like feelings my whole life were this inconvenience that I was supposed to just somehow try to avoid feeling unpleasant ones and seek, you know, to feel better. And it was just this massive light bulb. Like it just was so relieving and freeing to know, oh, so, so actually there's a point to these emotions that I feel. So of course that really steered my clinical path towards becoming, you know, I was like, this resonated so much for me. So just became very emotion focused in my clinical work. And now the two, and then the mindfulness meditation kind of started as my own um, attempt to be a better therapist. It was a professor that introduced me to it. She's like, mindfulness will help you be better with work in this clinical work. Um, and so I was like, I want to be a good therapist. I'll try that. And then when I began to practice, it just transformed. It was just like another sort of second aha of just coming home sort of like, oh yes, of course. As if I was somehow re-remembering, oh yeah, I need to be able to be within myself here. And so the two just really paired so beautifully, right? Because especially because emotions can be very difficult to sit with. And so I began practicing mindfulness meditation and kind of transforming and doing my own deep inner healing of the many wounds that I had, and then just began to sort of help others in that way and, and teach others. And, and then here I am kind of doing more of that. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Mm. I, I'm certain along the way, it was very difficult to keep showing up for yourself. Like, I, I just know that in my own life when I've had big challenges where I think that, number one, this is something I just can't get through. Like, I, I don't know how and do I even want to because it feels like it's going to be a tough journey to get through to the other side. Yeah. Um, and number two, you know, who, who's been in this same space who could even help me? I don't know. I don't know anyone. Like, who, how am I going to reach out and find the right person or the right people, right? So what did you do, if you can recall, mm -hmm. when you came up against those blocks of whether it was self-doubt, whether it was this trauma's too deep, I just can't go there. Mm -hmm. what, what was it that, on, in reflection or in hindsight, can you pinpoint as the thing that 
helped pull you through or helped you keep going on the journey? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. And it probably there's more than one thing, I would guess. I mean, a couple of thoughts just quickly come up. I mean, one is my sort of my own spiritual spirituality. I mean, I'm not a religious person, but I have kind of always had this thread of spirituality in my life ever since I was a child. Um, again, it's kind of like that whisper. So, um, and I would come closer to it at different points of my life and then pull away, like in academia, for instance, right? It, it was kind of frowned upon and I would get kind of caught up with that sort of cut myself off from it even too, just to kind of get along with the other academics, so to speak. Um, but it was always a thread. So, and I would say in, in kind of more intense moments of pain, kind of any spiritual practice. And even if that was just kind of being in nature or, um, you know, petting my cat and any kind of connecting to something greater, whether I would kind of do my own tarot cards and just talk about that with a girlfriend, but somehow that would carry me through. So kind of resourcing myself in a way outside of myself. And of course that would also, I mean, I guess in some sense, bring some hopefulness to me, right? Because we don't necessarily see the whole path ahead of us. And I think those are moments where we are just really, it's faith, right? Just faith and kind of trust and we're leaning into something we can't even really see um but you know in hindsight when i look back it's for sure my belief in in the, the universe or source or somehow higher power um then what else would i lean to i mean as long as i've been practicing mindfulness and that's been now almost two decades right? So um, coming back to any presence practice, and that might be different. So it's not necessarily sitting and focusing on my breath, but kind of any pathway, any gateway into the moment. So whether it's, I'm going to look out at the snow. Now I have snow. I was going to say rain and I look out my window and it's three feet of snow. So, you know, um, presence that way, presence through scent or listening to sounds, um, those can also feel really grounding and rooting. And then also, quite frankly, I think the difference is, you know, we shut ourselves off from, from pain when it feels too much and we can do it sort of automatically. And I think if I think back to the path where I kind of just got better, I got better at choosing it consciously. So rather than just that automatic shutting off, and I think that's where mindfulness helped me, of course, because as we build our capacity to notice when we're staying and when we're awake and when we're not, then we come to realize that we actually have a bit of a say. So there's a difference, and I tell my clients this, there's a difference between sort of dissociating automatically and then choosing with grace and self-compassion to say, this is too much right now but I'm going to choose some something self-soothing or I'm going to, right. So just being more conscious of when I need, to, or when I need to call a therapist, for instance, or call a friend that it's too much to sit with it by myself and process it. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and what I'm kind of hearing as well is this concept of being proactive in your life. So mm. we can sometimes be on that chain, which is life's happening to me and, 
I don't know, we can sometimes do woe is me or we can feel like we're not in control or whatever. Yeah. And if we come back to that, I call it, it's interesting, I call it sanctuary. And, and yeah. through the work that I do, I say things like you need to in the good moment mm-hmm. when everything seems to be pretty smooth, mm-hmm. to have in your sanctuary toolkit everything that you can just, add in there and that could be two breaths at the door while you're leaving the house mm-hmm. or it could be a monthly massage or it could be an annual retreat or whatever the things are mm-hmm. when everything's going really well put as many of those things in your sanctuary toolkit as you possibly can so that they then become a little bit like second nature so uh-huh. that when yeah. <laughs> life yeah. gets in the way as it will. <laughs> As it will. And whether that's something, you know, directly now that's occurred or whether that's something that's come up and bubbled up from our awareness that we've shoved down since we were three years of age, mm-hmm. we then can go, okay, well, I can go through that, traverse through that thing that's happening and support myself with these practices mm-hmm. by that I don't go crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, or so- point that's such a good point Helen you were so right and um it's like when I'm teaching mindfulness to students right and and it's that same I think the message that I'm going to echo of you is you know we need to have that repetition and sometimes you know the problem with us humans is like we we don't we sort of take it for granted until we're in a crisis and then we're scrambling you know um I used to see that a lot when I worked with college age students. It's just like, you know, cause they hadn't yet built the practices or really emphasized self-care or these kinds of sanctuary tools, right? But it's so true because when it gets intense it will be a lot easier. In fact, it's almost near impossible if you haven't got any self-resourcing, self-soothing practices that if you are, uh, you know in a type of crisis or things become extremely stressful you know, you're, it's going to be the default mode that's going to be the one that takes over, right? Because it, it's just too hard a, of a reach. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. why do we, and I'm saying we um, as a collective, as a race, yeah, not everybody, but why do we in general neglect the wisdom within those emotions? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I don't know if I'm going to know all the answers, right? My hunch um, is that we've got a long way to go to understanding emotions and actually seeing them as a source of wisdom, right? I mean, I don't know so much on your end of the world, but still in the West, it's like emotions are still taboo. I mean, um, so many of my clients, when they get, they come into therapy and it's like shame is associated with tears. It's like, I feel weak, like vulnerability is, is still gets a bad rap. Although I think part of um, Brene Brown's popularity is because she's sort of, her work has been kind of exposing that and saying there's courage and vulnerability. And I think the newer generation, people are more open receptive to it than maybe the older generations, right? I think there's a real difference in that. And I hope that's, you know, I think that shift is coming. Um, but it's still really difficult because the, you know, our, our inheritance is this idea that, you know, emotions are hysterical, 
you know, and, and they're bad and they're wrong and they need to be controlled and subdued. And so that idea of seeking only pleasant emotions and doing anything you can to avoid the unpleasant ones or the less comfortable ones is, is really steeped in our social conditioning. And um, we're not so good with just being with all of the emotions, right? And, and I think you can, it's just really reflective in the culture and rates of addiction and workaholism and, you know, um, it's, it's sad, quite frankly. And I think, you know, we've really, it's a mental health crisis, really, that we need to um, understand that emo we need, it's not just about thinking positive anymore, right? Like there was that, the wave in kind of, I would say the 80s, or even, you know, I don't want to, you know, crap on the secret or the ideas of laws of attraction, but there's some ideas in the 80s self-help, like just, you know, nothing but positive affirmations, think better and you'll feel better. So that emphasis on cognitions, right? That really came through psychology. I mean, in some ways it comes from that too. And it's done a disservice. I mean, I get that nobody wants to feel pain. You know, I don't enjoy it either, um, but it's the way through. It's, I mean, we're hardwired in this way. And if we can be better at um, being with all of our emotions. I mean, there's, there is information in there. It's, they're teaching us, they're telling us what kind of boundaries we need, where, you know, where we want to, um, what we need to cultivate more for ourselves or what we need to shift away from to be more aligned with our values. So we, we really create a lot of suffering, suffering for ourselves when we, when we ignore that the emotional wisdom for sure. Yeah. Do you think that there's a lot of head talk around what other people might think mm -hmm. if I say or do or behave in this way, but that way is what your soul's telling you you need yeah. to do, like the, whether it's the conversation you have to have or the change of job you need to make or the leaving of the relationship or whatever the thing is. Yeah. Do you think that becomes a massive, I don't know, broken record? In our heads yeah, it's cer it certainly is a barrier, I think, that limits us, absolutely, because, I mean, we're communal, right? We, we want to belong, so that, that need for connection and that need to belong is very inherent within us, and it's very deep, and, and, you know, so worrying what other people think, it's, I mean, in some ways, we can't help it, you know, um, and I think as we get a little bit older, you know, part of becoming wise, at least I'm understanding this for myself, is starting to, to really see that that's not the pathway home for us, right? That, it, that being true to ourselves really demands that sometimes we have difficult conversations and sift through awkward conversations um, and pull away and sometimes might feel very lonely doing so, right? Because if we're sacrificing ourselves and dimming ourselves or denying parts of ourselves in lieu of having what we think is a great connection with a belonging, you know, whether it be a relationship or a group or a community, um, that's going to lead to suffering, right? It's going to stymie us um, and keep us from really, you know, living wholly and fully. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, too, we don't actually know how long the journey is going to be. I think that adds a bit of a dilemma. Like I know for myself, and I've shared this openly in all sorts of different places, but for me, if I look at what happened in my 30s, 
oh, sorry, my 20s, then my 30s, and then my 40s, and I turned 50 last year, so now I'm in a whole other bracket. Mm-hmm. I can see where the universe was saying, this is out of alignment, this is not working, and I just kept pushing against it. And yeah. then, you know, all the things that went wrong, whether it was my health or my relationships or my work, all sorts of things. And then my 40s was kind of like picking up the pieces and making it all make sense and the reinvention transformation process. Um, and then, you know, here I am now. And it's nearly like, mm-hmm. I think that extended time frame. I think things are happening much quicker now, thank goodness, because, you know, we don't all have 20 years to find ourselves yeah 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 speed it up please yeah yeah, hurry up um but I think that I think that by giving ourselves permission to go whatever go through whatever that process is yeah and trusting it allows us I call it welcoming home and I love how you're Mm. pretty much using a synonym of that it's like Mm. by welcoming myself home and going through the mud and the mess and stripping it away and all that kind of stuff takes time but then stepping out the other side it's nearly like you know you've lived in the dark for weeks or months or years and then all of a sudden you've opened the door and bam there's sunlight mm-hmm. it's, it's mm-hmm. like a, a new person and it's mm-hmm. like you welcomed yourself home through whatever the process is that you've had to mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, amazing. it's amazing yeah it's it's beautiful and it's interesting too that that awakening, I mean, I don't know if we're getting off to where you want to veer off to where you want to go with this, Helen, but it makes me, what you're saying makes me think also of the grief that I see in people. So when I see people and I witness, you know, I'm honored to witness their transformation, um, it's inter- it's always interesting to me, the alchemy of these emotions, because it's like the, the shadow of that awakening is sometimes sorrow. It's like, oh, if only, like I'm now I'm 40, if only... I had to figure this out, right? So I just say that because I think if this, if what we're talking about is resonating for people, that that's part of the process too, right? And to not stay stuck in it, Tara Brock calls it soul sadness. It's like when we realize we'd been, you know, neglecting ourselves or um, cutting ourselves, you know, turning against ourselves in these ways, it's almost painful that jarring open, but to just don't worry too much about it. Give yourself compassion because, you know, like you said, we don't know how long the journey is. And we also don't, we don't necessarily get to choose, you know, as we get these lessons, right. When they're presented to us, um, not necessarily anyways. So <laughs> just to know that too. Yeah. But there's yeah. such beauty in it when, when we come home to ourselves. There is. It, mm. And I think the first step starts with gifting ourselves permission to actually yeah. do that. So what are some like really simple strategies? If someone's listening to this and they're saying, um, you know, what do I do? I, I've got this grief, this trauma, this sadness. What are some really simple ways? I know that you've shared some already, but are there any others that we could do? Mm-hmm. Just if, you know, if we wake up today or something hits us today, what's, what should we do? What's the first step? Yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, So the first is to, I'm just going to say, be willing to to investigate your conditioning around your emotions. I think that's the first step is just to just to be open to the idea that maybe what you learned and that what your mom and dad taught you, you know, we love them. They did the best they could with what was taught to them. 
but it might not have always been the best. So just to be open to reconfiguring and then learning how to relate differently to your emotions. So um, that would be the first, just to the idea that there are some myths that you've absorbed and internalized. And I talk about those kind of in my little ebook that I offer, just some common myths, myths so that, that people resonate with that, right? Most of us have some for sure. Um, and then the next is to decide that you're going to start to treat your emotions with more curiosity and kindness. So, because it really starts with you and that certainly that can be hard. So another thought is also, if it's hard, you find to give yourself that kindness or that interest in your emotions. And a nice trick is always to think, well, how would I treat my child if they were crying? Like, would I, would I say, go away? You know, you're, you're an idiot for crying about that. You know, like, I hope not. There tends to be a natural heartfelt compassion to soothe and comfort. If we imagine it doesn't have to be your child, any child, right. Or your best friend or someone you love or someone you care about. Right. Cause that's often a pathway. It's, it's much easier for us um, to think about being compassionate to others vulnerability than to our own. Right. So start if, if you need a bit of a, a turn towards like, how would I do that? So start treating your own feelings in that way. So when they start to come up, if you notice yourself like this hurts, you know, like labeling emotions, Daniel Siegel is a, a well-known psychologist here in the West. And he says, name it to tame it, which is this understanding of the brain that when we can put words to our emotions, it does help us regulate them. So I talk about um, guessing. So you don't, you might not know, but it's like, if I can just put my hand on my heart here, you know, feeling something and it might be lots of emotions. And that's why I don't know, right? Cause we're feeling, we can feel four or five different emotions at once. And so it feels mixed. So you might even say that, oh, so there's a lot of feelings. There's a lot of emotion and then start guessing and seeing what fits like tr you're trying it on. Like you're trying on a shirt at the clothing store. So is this fear? Am I scared? You know, is there anger? You might encourage yourself even more by saying, is there anything under the anger? You know, oftentimes if anger is kind of a defensive, you know, blaming armored anger, usually there's something more vulnerable underneath it that we don't want to feel. Ask yourself, am I willing to, to feel this? Am I willing to be with this now? And using, um, you know, mindfulness of your breath in that moment. So the breath can always help calm the body. I also like images or our senses because, you know, if we're automatically wanting to go away from what feels uncomfortable, especially we're opening to the emotion, you know, reminding yourself, these are just waves. And the breath I think is so nice as an anchor because it feels like waves, right? As we breathe in and out. And they can almost like as if we're rocking our body from the inside out. And that can be very compassionate, very self-soothing. So you can sort of keep the breath. If it feels too much, like you're also trying to attend to the emotions that are in the body that might feel very strong, but you're all the while breathing, staying grounded in them, trying naming them, right? So you're working with them. You're able to be with them with a little more resourcefulness, right? Yeah, that's beautiful. And yeah. I've had this kind of thought dropping in as we've had the conversation around children as well. And you mentioned caring for yourself in the same way that you would a child. Yeah. 
Um, and I think from what I heard there as well, there's some beautiful strategies that we could be using with our children. And it reminded me of this story, if you're okay, that I yes. share this. So when our son was about 11 or 12, he and I went away on a mother-son camping weekend and it was a facilitated camp with lots of other mothers and lots of other beautiful boys and we did you know separate things also together things and it was really lovely now one stage we were sitting in the circle and all the with all the mums all the boys were off somewhere else and the mums were all sharing or answering a question that we'd been posed and one of the last ladies to answer it and I'm really glad that she was towards the end you know we went around the circle and she was like the second last or third last lady and one thing she said was I'm really worried how my wounded feminine shows up for my son. Mm. So what, she, what I heard was, how do I heal me? How do I heal all of the things? Yeah. And I feel like what you've shared has helped answer that mm. because we can be doing this work anytime can't we really we don't have to be waiting for a trigger or a trauma or a stressor we can be diving in with all of these emotions on a daily basis to help do whatever healing so we can then show up for mm -hmm. our family our community or whoever mm -hmm. absolutely and I'm going to use your word that you said which is permission so, and there's a new book called, uh, by Mark Brackett called Permission to Feel, which I was so excited about because I mean, it's, it shows the shift, right? And it's been popular, but we need that permission for our feelings. And I think, I think people are longing for it, but you know, like you said, not, not many people really know what to do. So if we don't know, of course, the default of just sort of avoiding and suppressing is gonna be how we get by. But if we learn the skills, it really is a skill building. And the, the, the biggest thing I would say too, just to add with what do I do is to validate. I mean, I think, I think one of the main reasons people come to see a therapist is because they just want someone to validate that their feelings make sense and they're normal for being a human being and going through what they're going through. And that it can be so freeing um, and so many of us have histories of being invalidated, like, which is a wound, right? So all these little wounds over time of being told or dismissed or feelings are wrong or they don't make sense. All of that separates us from trusting our emotions. So the way back is no matter what I'm feeling, I'm going to accept that that's here and it's valid. It might not make sense. I might not even know why I'm feeling this way right now. And sometimes that's because we're just becoming more open and permitting and compassionate. So the old stuff starts to clear away, as I think you could probably makes a lot of sense to you, right, Helen, in the work that you do. And so just to validate it and be with it and, and offer the soothing and the comfort. Um, what does it need? So that would be the last thing I would say. It's like it's valid. Does it need anything? So each emotion tends to have its own action tendency associated with it. So sadness tends to want soothing or comfort and just acceptance and we move through it just like grief right is not tons to do with grief other than we need to move through it and we might need some what can i do to self-soothe or to nurture myself right now um whereas anger 
at a primary level, I mean, we're hardwired with anger because it tells us if someone's crossed us, someone's, you know, um, discriminating against our rights or our values in some way, or, you know, so we need to stand up. So anger might have more energy and it might say you need to act or you need to pull away or, you know, so it makes sense. Um, we might need to do something if we're feeling ang angry, right? Um, or fear, same fear gets kind of a bad rap, especially because the way, you know, the world is right now, it's kind of amplified with the uncertainty of it all. Like there's wise fear and then there's fear that's less reasonable that can get us into trouble. So taking pauses with yourself to, you know, it's valid because it's here, but also questioning like, is this from my thoughts because I'm sort of spiraling or what do I really need right now, right? So it's a good to also check in with yourself and say, you know, is this, does this feel old, like an old wound from my childhood? Is this something that I'm unraveling in worry? But if I check myself, I, I realize, oh yeah, none of that's actually happened yet. So that's just, you know, emotion created by these sort of negative ruminating thought loops, right? And so then what you're gonna do is do something different, right? Practicing pulling yourself into the moment, maybe doing an activity, recognizing that you're caught in future thinking and that there really is no, like, is there a real fear here that I need to self-protect? Oftentimes, no, right? So those kinds of ways, does that make sense in terms of steps? Is that? Yeah, that's beautiful. Clear Absolutely. enough, yeah. yeah it's, I mean, it's murky territory, isn't it, Helen? I mean, emotions are complex. We're very complex beings, so... It's not an easy one-off, here you go, here's the algorithm, you know, follow the formula. But I think those are, are cues anyways to help us learn to be with them. And it's a practice. So each time, right, each time you treat uh, your emotion with that type of curiosity and compassion, you're sort of changing the hardwiring of how you relate. And, you know, I, I see people transform their lives just by, you know, practicing that alone and learning about the emotions. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. I, when I hear you sharing that, I'm reminded of Eckhart Tolle's um, process, which is event reaction, event reaction. We kind of get stuck in this loop of this event happens and then we react in this way. But right. then I, I call it, well, he calls it awareness. So then it's, it's nearly like I, I've been in this situation myself as I know you have as well, but sometimes what I do to try and bring awareness to the event reaction that, you know, is looping in front of me is to physically step back from the situation. So, um, and, and I actually mean literally, like I remember mm -hmm. being at a grocery store and um, the lady serving me and I, and there was kind of this escalating thing going on. Mm -hmm. um, it didn't get awful but all, at all, but what I did is like this, awareness dropped in and I physically took half a step back and mm -hmm. that in itself created a disconnect between this event reaction thing that was yeah. going on yeah uh, and it allowed me to sit with what was the actual truth of this situation um, and then I shared with the lady this is what's actually going on for me and mm -hmm. it totally shifted the mm -hmm. dynamic look she might have thought I was totally crazy uh, but what I do know is that it shifted the energy of the situation. It um, deflated anything that was escalating at the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was able to share with her my truth. Mm. And from there, I could then say, look, if you're happy, 
share this with your manager because this is what happened here. And, and I know that you come across all sorts of people who aren't as aware as me on your daily basis. And it just might be nice for yeah. some feedback because it was around, around a particular policy that this store mm. um, had. Mm -hmm. So it's that, like what I'm hearing is if I can bring awareness into any kind of emotion I'm feeling and then just going down some of those layers underneath that mm -hmm. will mm -hmm. help make sense. Mm -hmm. But also... I know that particular situation, for example, gave me the skills. So when it happened again, mm -hmm. I could kind of slip into it more easily than having to clunk my way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and what you're saying there is key, which is is the pause. You took a pause, right? And we don't pause enough, right? We're usually just ping-ponging, right? Um, reactivity to reactivity uh, with each other. Yeah. Yeah. And we need to kind of slow down to just even a moment or two, like it doesn't have to take forever because I find that usually when we're able to slow us ourselves down and just pause. And like you said, even maybe physically leave and just take a couple breaths and check in, like what is really happening here? We usually know the difference in our bodies, right? When we're like you said, when I'm speaking my truth and I'm, there's clarity about what's going on here, but yeah, we need to sort of turn inside us to see what's the, it's like stormy weather, you know, is arising with us because who knows what, what's like, whether it's the negative thought loop or some, that person reminds us of, some, of someone from our childhood or, you know, we can get activated. And if we are moving from that place, yeah, it usually ends up just creating more chaos, more stress, more mess. So we need to sort of get off that, that loop. Yeah, we totally do need to get off that yeah. loop. And I think yeah. this might be a beautiful segue into this beautiful word that I love. Yeah. Sanctuary. Yeah. <laughs> so when you hear of word sanctuary, what does that invoke in you? Yeah, um, a sense of peacefulness, I would say. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful word. And when I think of it, I just think of kind of coming home to myself and feeling at peace with myself. And that doesn't mean that everything has to be perfect in order for that to happen. It's kind of an inner peace and a groundedness that's accessible. I mean, it's guided and aided by atmosphere. I'm a, I'm a cancer, so I am very into atmosphere <laughs> and love your podcast for that reason. Um, but it's, it's also, you know, what I'm creating on the inside can I be with myself and can I be with kindness and mindfulness with what's arising with me, in me? And then it's always available. I mean, I believe that. I believe that sanctuary is always available to us. We're just blocked by it. So sometimes if I'm blocked, it's like, okay, what's in my way to then? Where's the gateway for me now to access yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. So beautiful. What kind of practices do you have on gel that might keep your sanctuary levels in check. So, you know, those personal spiritual practices, is there anything, I know you shared right at the start, you mentioned tarot and obviously we've spoken about meditation and mindfulness mm -hmm. a lot. Mm -hmm. um, are there other things or are they your major go-tos? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, um, they move and shift. Like I'm not always doing the same thing. So I'll go through a period where writing just feels like 
my journal is extended to my arm in the mornings and I need to do that. Right now I'm into doing yoga every morning. Um, so it'll shift. And I think that's good because I think we need to keep things fresh. And I don't, I don't ever want my daily practices other than needing to get up early enough before my family wakes up right? so I can have that time because I really need that. Um, yeah, then I'll do different things. So I'll kind of wake up and go, do I feel like just sitting in, you know, in meditation and stillness right now? Or do I feel like writing right now? Do I feel like pulling a card? Do I feel like praying? So it's fluid. Um, but lately, yeah, I've been really, I did this 30 day yoga with Adrian, who's uh, this yoga teacher who does these online programs. And I did every day and it was called breathe. The theme was breathe or breath because there's no E at the end. And it's just been amazing and fantastic. So, but I'm sure that will change and shift, but those would be my, my top few that I feel like just keep me resourced and keep me kind of aligned to just have that, that time in the morning to come to myself before the day starts and pulls me in all different directions. Yeah. I love how you use the word fluid because mm. I think sometimes we can be following a certain practitioner or a certain guide or a certain book um, and we feel like we nearly have to follow that recipe. And yeah. I love the con this concept of fluidity because that then says we can have whatever recipe we want. I mean, every single time we bake something with mm -hmm. the exact same recipe, it tastes different, looks different, has feels different. Like there's, it's, there's difference to it. Mm -hmm. So it's like, how can I show up fluidly in my practice and actually be kind and gentle with my emotions that are coming up at the same time? I mean, how many yeah. people say, oh, I'm told to journal, but I hate it. I'm going to white knuckle through this, you know? Yeah. I mean, we we're so individual, right? I mean, we are so unique and we have to customize, right? We have to um, like, I'll throw a bunch of different tools at my clients, you know, try this, 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 and this, but knowing that they'll come back and I'll say, you have to experiment because what's going to work for you and resonate for you is not what's going to resonate for the next person. And it's just so true. Yeah. So true. And, and I think, you know, we can get caught, like, say, it's like, oh, I want to lose 15 pounds. And this is the program. And so we think we have to be so rigid with it. But that doesn't make room for our own process. And, you know, some days you have more energy, and some days you don't. And, you know, to, to listen to our bodies and the wisdom of our own emotions and our own bodies. And I think, you know, to learn to trust ourselves in that way. Yeah, that's so beautiful. So there's only one official question for this uh -huh. podcast. So I'd like to dive in with that before we then wrap up. Uh, sure. But that is, if you were to leave the listener with one piece of advice on their sanctuary journey, what would it be? Mm. Um, I think... I mean, I sort of feel like there's two pieces because I'm talking emotion. So if people are, so I feel like there's two levels. Like if you're in the level where you have a lot of, you know, strong emotions or something's kind of, you know, it's coming up, there's too much and you want to create sanctuary, but you have maybe some unprocessed pain or wounds and it just feels like overwhelming. 
then I would make suggestions for bringing in more kind of grounded practices. So sanctuary might mean, you know, putting your hand over your heart and taking a deep breath, um, whispering to yourself, you know, I am, I'm okay, or I am love or some sort of mantra, right? So I, I feel like these are things that can help us feel grounded and we might need those deeper roots. And I think if you're a little more balanced and you're just looking at more broadly speaking for sanctuary, um, in addition to kind of what I've shared today, I think, you know, focus on the senses, right? The senses are our gateway to our embodiment as human beings. And there's so, there's such, you know, vibraciousness to being a human being with our senses. It's such a wild ride, right? So enjoy the smells and, you know, what, is there something I want to visually see in every day that is so beautiful and I just love looking at it or sounds or, you know, just follow the senses as a guide and just enjoy the richness. I mean, there's so, so many beautiful ways and different pathways to feeling that sense of sanctuary. And I don't think we do it enough. So yeah, that's what I would say. That's so amazing. Yeah, and yeah. spot on, there was an article in um, the, we have a magazine that comes in the weekend newspaper. And in that article this past weekend was something, an article on COVID and people losing their sense of smell and taste oh, right, and right. the impact that mm. was having on their lives. Yeah. And I think that just links beautifully with what you share because those, most of us have not thought about what would happen if we lose one of those yeah. senses. And those people have been moved into that space. Yeah. And so traversing that has been really interesting. Yeah. So I love that idea of welcoming ourselves home to those five senses and mm -hmm. our sixth sense if we're so called. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, exactly. Which listeners of this podcast are called, so that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> so Angel, yeah. you mentioned an ebook. So is this the best place? Can people go to your website and grab that ebook that you were mentioning? How how can people yeah. find you is the question. <laughs> yeah. So um so my website's drangelclose.com. So doctor as in DR. And um, yeah, as soon as you kind of go there, you'll be invited to, to grab it and it'll be emailed to you. And it just speaks a little bit about what I talked about today, talks a bit about mindfulness and compassion and the different types of emotion and some self-reflective questions. So I think it's kind of good if people also want to start um, you know, relating to their emotions differently, but aren't really sure how. So that might be helpful. And I also have meditations on Insight Timer. Um, like there's one, the, it's an acronym, it's called RESTING, R-E-S-T-I-N-G. And it specifically guides you in your meditation to be with your emotions. So each letter represents a different focus of attention. And so that's also a good one too. And I have other kind of regular uh, like self-compassion and an inner child one. So there's a variety there. Um, if people are interested or practice meditation and want to try those too. Beautiful. I will definitely put links to those in the show notes for people to go directly to there because any support right. that we can yeah. get to help us, you know, dive in with these emotions, no matter where we are on our journey. Yeah. Is, yeah. is super beneficial. So thank you so much for your time today, Angela. It's been absolutely gorgeous talking with you. Yeah. You too. It's been lovely. I've loved meeting you.
Oh, thank yeah. you. Listen, yeah. if you are keen, please head on over to the Helen Joy Butler website and grab the Sanctuary Starter Kit and join us in the Sanctuary Inner Circle. But until next time, take care and much love.